Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Good morning, Jeff. How are you in sweltering Seattle? <laughs> I am in sweltering Seattle, which um, we're recording this in the middle of May, and the temperature yesterday hit 86 or 87, maybe close to 90 in some areas. Uh, that's too hot, but uh, we're doing okay. It's not supposed to last really long, and honestly, there was a thunderstorm last night, and we don't get thunder and lightning up here very often, so wow. that was super cool. I grew up in southern Idaho where you'd get a lot of thunderstorms, and I just love lightning. I would be a storm chaser in another life, I think. So yeah. it's super cool. Uh, in the UK, thunderstorms are relatively rare, and I spent 12 years living in the French Alps where thunderstorms are very common in the mountains. You get them oh, yeah. particularly in summer when it's hot and humid, uh, late afternoon in summer. And I just loved the the tumult and the the rain that comes pouring down for 20 minutes and then stops and everything's clear. It's it's just a wonderful experience. Yeah, the smell that comes from it, it's just ah, – it's it's wonderful. So, anyway, uh, we're not here to talk anyway. about weather. <laughs> so we want to talk about some new software that just came out today. What is that, Jeff? That is Photomator. So from the Pixelmator Wait, people. is that new? Didn't that already exist? It sort of existed. Um, and in fact, we mentioned it. I think in our last episode or the episode before that, because Photomator had been announced and you had it as your snapshot. And so basically Photomator is – what's a good way of saying it? It's like the photographer, the more photographer-friendly version of Pixelmator Pro. And it initially existed just on the iPad and iOS. So – it was like their mobile app for doing photos, but it incremented by leaps and bounds. They added a lot of uh, features to it so that initially I think it was the sort of lightweight mobile image editing app from Pixelmator. And they just kind of kept pushing and pushing and it became really capable. And now they have moved that also to the Mac and changed the name. So we were talking about before, it used to be called Pixelmator Photos which was confusing because you also had Pixelmator Pro. And so then they just changed the name to Photomator to help distinguish the two. So now you've got Photomator on the Mac. You've got it on the iPad, on the iPhone. It all works together. It inter interoperates really well. And my question to you is, since this was your idea to bring up this thing, why do we want to cover just another photo editing app? My gosh, there are so many. <laughs> there are so many. I think I'm going to adopt this as my photo editing app because as we've talked about in the past, I like using the Photos app for the cloud. When you open Photomator, it shows you your photos library. It basically is a layer on top of your photos library. It accesses your photos. You can edit them. It saves them back into photos. It's uh, it's you said before we started recording it's a photographer friendly interface i would go even further it's a non photographer friendly in interface it's not complicated there aren't as many tools as many of the um editing apps we've talked about in the past but the tools that are there are quite powerful and they cover most of the needs now what's interesting is on the mac 
you can open a photo from Photomator in Pixelmator Pro if you need the more advanced tools. So this is kind of like going from Lightroom to Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good analog because Lightroom is like Photomator and Photoshop is like Pixelmator Pro. And the thing that's always been daunting for me about Pixelmator Pro is it can do a lot. And I mean, to its credit, it also has some vector tools. It is a giant Swiss Army knife type of product that can do more than you're really ever going to touch. And personally, I appreciated that, but maybe because I've been in the Adobe system for so long, I found it difficult to remember which section, which group of tools I had to go to. Um, We've talked about this with like Affinity Photo too, like just having a different mindset. This just feels more natural to me. Photomator feels more like Lightroom, so I'm immediately more favorable to it. But what's nice is all the controls are right there, almost all the controls basically. So you're not going to have to come at Pixelmator Pro or the same way you would come to Photoshop where it's a big daunting task. And just to follow up, part of of the reason why I wanted you to, to introduce this the way you did is because one of the reasons we're talking about this is not just because it's new, but because you are so excited about it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you've I, been excited I, about Capture One and all of that, but this just seems like it fits you really well. And I think that's going to be the case for a lot of our listeners. Yeah. I've been planning to move away from Capture One because it costs 179 pounds a year. They're really it, it's a photo app for professional photographers with some wonderful features and with my Leica Q2 monochrome files, it's really nice. The way it works with layers is excellent. You can do dodging and burning, but you can do that in Photomator. And you can do that in Pixelmator Pro. And the combination of the two, not having a subscription, not being part of the Adobe Industrial Complex, not being an app designed for wedding photographers, um, it makes me feel more like it's an app designed for someone like me than me kind of sneaking in to the 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 big boy photographer's room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and something else about it, I'm going to make this overly simplistic, but I think since Adobe switched to their subscription model, the market changed a lot and there were a bunch of smaller players who who came out of the woodwork and said, "Look, we can make a good photo editor and not charge you an expensive monthly or yearly amount. And that's where we got Affinity and that's where we got Pixelmator Pro and even stalwarts like Acorn, which is sort of more Photoshoppy. But Adobe basically opened up a market, a possibility so that little companies could do innovative things. And what I like about this is not just that Pixelmator is is finding a niche, but they are using the latest technologies and doing it in sort of a clean new way. And I know that sounds weird, but if you've used, say, Lightroom Classic for a while, Lightroom Classic, it's big, it's old, it's super capable, it's faster than it used to be, but there's a lot of old code in there and there's a lot of waiting sometimes. And if you don't have a really good machine, you can really bog down. Something like Pixelmator Pro, they are using you know, Apple's latest core ML technologies, and they are also really, really aggressive about their machine learning features. 
and incorporating those. What they call machine learning is what other apps call auto, right? Auto settings. Um, but they do have them for white balance, for basic exposure, brightness, et cetera, hue and saturation, selective color, color balance. They've got quite a few. I, I think I, I think they've taken an approach that is gone opposite the direction of most of the Adobe slash Photoshop clones in trying to make something that is more for normal people and realizing that we don't want to figure out all these things and watch hour long YouTube videos to, 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 to do something. I want to just circle back. You mentioned Acorn. Acorn is my tool of choice for editing screenshots. I use it every time I edit screenshots, and there's two reasons. One is I'm really used to it for screenshots, and the second is they have a built-in screenshot feature. Now, we have to take screenshots often. Um, people who don't write books and articles about technology don't, but there's a, a keyboard shortcut that takes a layered screenshot of every element on your window. So you get a file. Oh, Jeff's eyes just widened. I did he not know, know about, about this. this. Command <laughs> Shift 6. Every element is on a separate layer and you can hide the ones you don't want. And you know how it is sometimes you're trying to line up windows and menus and all that. Oh, um, yes. You'll have to check it out. They've even just improved that feature in the latest update to, I think you can set a timer for 10 seconds so you have time to open a menu when you do a screenshot, that sort of thing. So for me, it's the perfect screenshot tool. I could never get into it for photo editing because it just doesn't feel comfortable. It, it's too Spartan for a photo editor for me. Well, and, and to also go back to the to the machine learning stuff, another thing that I like about Photomator is that there's, it's actually a deeper program than you might think because it's a brand new app and it comes from a heritage of being you know, a, a quick and easy photo editing tool. But there's actually a lot there. So, for example, you mentioned the the machine learning uh, sort of auto tools. And it's also nice that you can sort of drill down. Like I only want to apply the machine learning to the white balance and see what that comes up with rather than like the entire image. But it has features. Uh, I think we mentioned like like some of the, the replacement features that are, are – uh, using some AI. It has denoising. It can do super resolution. We were talking about resolution the other day uh, in a previous episode. And, it, you know, it, it's using machine learning for those types of things that may come up in what you're doing or may not, but it's there and it's easy to get to. So even though this is, I want to say, a new and quote unquote smaller application in a way, I don't really see that you're going to have to bounce around a lot between, say, I need to go use another third-party thing to uh, to do my, my super resolution up kind of thing or my sharpening or whatever. They've really kind of slid in with a complete tool. Yeah. The the healing tool is pretty interesting. I The picture of my cat, Rosalind, um, that I took a couple of weeks ago. Uh, sitting behind some tulips in the garden. I just wiped over her and she was gone. It didn't look like she was ever there. I haven't had time to really play with the healing. And, and I know we did a whole episode about this. So we'll have to do another one. Um, but the healing tool is useful. The, um, the, the All of the edits are non-destructive. And this brings up actually something we've been trying to figure out. 
you can save a sidecar file, um, which is usually just a small text file that's a few kilobytes, but these are the full photos with the edit information. So you can either save it, we're talking about Pixelmator on the Mac, you can either save it in your pictures folder or in iCloud. Now, presumably, if you save it in iCloud, that means that other devices using Photomator can access that. Um, I kind of, I mean, I know Apple Photos has a system where you can do non-destructive edits with a third-party tool and they get saved somehow in the Photos library because these files take up a lot of space. My uh, Q2 monochrome DNG files are 85 or 90 megabytes. So this is going to fill up my iCloud drive if I do this a lot. Yeah, this is definitely an open question. Um, I'm trying to think of how Photos does it. But basically, like the idea behind non-destructive edits is you have the image file and then you have some sort of commands within either within Lightroom or in a sidecar file that just basically say, you know, uh, this image has, you know, plus one exposure and uh, minus two clarity. And it's basically like a menu that says how to make that image look the way you've edited it as. And so my initial thought was maybe these are holding thumbnails, image thumbnails, because in order to make the editing experience better, I mean, your computer still has to render all those pixels. And so um, what programs usually do is they'll make several sizes of thumbnails. So you have like a small one when you're just viewing like your you know grid. And then when you're doing close-up editing, you have like a, like a one-to-one uh, thumbnail version of it to work on because it has to you know keep redrawing and recomputing that every time you make a, an edit. And in order to do that in a way that has good performance, then you have these these thumbnails and previews. However, you pointed out rightly that even if they had these these big previews, they would probably be JPEGs and they would be much, much, much smaller. Yeah. So they would be a few megabytes, not the 85 or 90 that I have. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. You sort of threw that back to me like I had an answer and I really don't. I was just, <laughs> just no, going to explain it No, but it is something it we were discussing earlier. It can take up a lot of space. Um, yeah. One thing I want to point out is that some of their tools, so they have uh, an ML crop. Basically, they're going to use machine learning to determine how to crop a photo. They have an auto enhance, the super resolution we talked about, denoise repair. They also have select subject, select sky, and select background. I actually can't figure out how to do that yet. Um, I'm trying to find where the settings are for that, where the tools are. If you click the color adjustments button, which brings up all your tools, when you go to the image layers at the top there, you can click the little plus button next to it and you have select subject, select sky, select background. Oh, I see. Above the column of tools, right. It, it's kind of hidden that that since, it is, since I yeah, couldn't find it easily. If you click the more button up in the very top toolbar and you choose more workflows, you can also see a bunch of workflows. So it's basically um, the first one, this, these are built into the, to, to the app, enhance and crop. So auto enhance, straighten, ML crop, et cetera, et cetera. And you can use these workflows to apply multiple edits to multiple photos. You can also save the edits to a photo as a, a LUT, a lookup table, and then you can apply them as well to multiple photos. So there are a lot of options in here that are maybe kind of hidden. This is the kind of app that needs like good tutorials and a walkthrough. And kudos to Affinity Photo that has lots of tutorials because 
you couldn't figure out how to do much with that app without tutorials, I think. Yeah. Well, and uh, one more thing I want to point out with this, with the the subjects. So basically to, to describe how this works, once you have like selected the subject, then there's a menu that it's kind of like a layers menu, but it's not like a traditional layers menu, but it tells you what you're working on. And so I'm working on the subject layer and then all the controls that are normally there just apply to that selection. But one thing that that I honestly – maybe I'm, I'm coming at this thinking that Photomator is going to be less capable than it is and I'm, I'm just continually surprised. But it also has the ability to add and subtract to different masks. So for example, um, w- one of the examples that I made was – um, I have a picture of a tulip and I wanted some light behind it because I it's it's rather dark because the light the sunlight was hitting the tulip directly, but I wanted a little bit of a glow. And so what I did was I made a, a radial mask that was basically just sort of giving some some light behind there, but I didn't want it to increase the exposure of the flower itself. So I did a subject mask, but in order to make those things work together, I set the subject to be subtracted from the mask. And mm-hmm. it turns out you could do really powerful things when you're adding and subtracting yeah. these these different masks, not just you know, sort of painting on it, but to be, get the specificity of the petals on this flower so that you're not having to, to go in and do that manually. And the fact that, that this can do that is – it, it it impressed me quite a bit. Well, one thing you can do is you can add adjustment layers and each adjustment layer, and this is kind of the way Capture One works. Each layer yeah. has a specific adjustment and you can also adjust the intensity of the adjustment. So let's say you want to um, desaturate and so you do a desaturation layer, but it's too much. So you just do the little slider of the intensity and you can really fine tune it a lot like that. And uh, like all apps with layers, you can show and hide the layers and you can have, I don't know how many layers, but you can have multiple layers. And that's really powerful in a tool like this. That's probably what sold me on this to replace Capture One. The Mm -hmm. fact that most of what I do in Capture One is sometimes I'll do uh, linear gradients to darken the sky. Um, Although now with a sky selection, maybe there's an easier way to do that. Uh, but I'll often do a layer to do dodging and burning, and you can do that with Pixelmator Pro. You basically create a brush and you change the exposure. You either lighten or darken the exposure or the contrast or whatever. And this gives me the latitude that I had in Capture One without that feeling that I'm not the person that Capture One is designed for, if that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Also, I think I want to impress upon some people because – I think traditionally Photoshop layers have been uh, – again, I'm going to bring up that word daunting. Uh, there can be a lot to them. And I think for a lot of people, when you talk about layers, suddenly it becomes this this next level of complication. And with this, I like the way they've done this because it's very clear what you're working on. But you don't have the the, the complication of – like saying choosing blend modes between layers. Now that's a super powerful thing that that can be useful, but that's also something that I mean, I honestly in my photography I rarely ever run up against that. And 
if you want that capability, then you kick the image over to Pixelmator Pro where you can have different blend modes between layers. And so these layers, they, they make sense. You know what you're working on um, because also the, the thing to point out is this is like Lightroom. The adjustments that you make apply to the entire image unless you start building these masks. Right. And so having an adjustment layer just specifically that even if there's nothing selected as a mask, that just gives you a lot more control over how that uh, that layer is going to be affected. So, you know, you want to uh, reduce the red saturation. You can do that without affecting everything and having a little bit more control, that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, they also have a lot of presets that show up in the bottom, oh, yeah. um, a preset strip, and I don't really use these, but it is interesting to know that you can save your own edits as LUTs that'll show up in the presets. And I, I kind of like that idea because, so with, I think I mentioned a few months ago, I was trying out some styles for Capture One to kind of emulate Kodak's Tri-Xpan 400 film. And one of the problems was there are two ways to make styles and captures one. With one of them, you can't change the intensity, right? And here, I like that ability that I will be able to do that, that I'll be able to not buy a style, but develop my own style and be able to use it like that. And I've never been a preset slash style guy, um, but I can see that there's a lot of latitude for someone who wants to do that sort of thing. Now, I don't know where these presets come from. Uh, I haven't looked into that. Uh, there's abbreviations that I don't understand, CN, CF, MF, LSVN, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I guess all photo apps have to have a lot of them, except Apple's Photos app. They all have to have yeah. a lot of these presets, don't they? Yeah, uh, kind of. Well, I think that's to A, appeal to people who really don't know anything about what they're doing. Um, they just know that they want it to be more saturated. They want it to be warmer. And that's a quick, easy way to do that. Um, and I think a lot of that too comes from the heritage of these starting on mobile where you have a picture on your phone. You just want to make a quick edit and that's a good way to do it. Um, okay. I've, I found on the website um, ah. there are nine groups of presets, BW for black and white, CN for cinematic, classical films, modern films, landscape, vintage, urban, night, Pixelmator Pro because they have presets in Pixelmator Pro. And then mm -hmm. there's a custom section for your own presets that you save that you can apply to your own photos. Cool. Very, very helpful. So another reason why I'm all in on this is because their roadmap is really interesting. They're going to add a number of tools, um, like they've got a clone tool that's available on the Mac that's coming soon to the iPhone and iPad. Uh, dehaze adjustment, depth and luminance masks, selective face editing. And that's pretty neat. So that means it finds the face and selects it. And you can, let's say, adjust the exposure if it's a little bit too dark. Go back five years and how long did it take in Photoshop to select a face like that? Um, I, well, I would say doing that. You're still trying to thing? select that face five years later. No, no, but but that is probably only uh, in the last year or two that you've been able to do that in Photoshop and and uh, and Lightroom. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. I also want to point out one more uh, tool that I don't know of any other application that actually has this. It has a selective clarity tool. Yes. And so so clarity is often a dangerous 
tool because it it increases contrast in a specific way. And like for you know landscape photos, um, especially photos that have people in them, if you turn up clarity too much, it's just it's terrible. It's it's awful. But what the selective clarity does, it lets you adjust the texture and the clarity in your shadows or your midtones or your highlights or you know different values for each one which is really cool because clarity can be super effective but oftentimes it's just overdone i'm sure you've seen all sorts of pictures where like the the shot just looks chunky and it's because someone went crazy with the clarity slider yeah. and that's that's super cool i think Okay, so here's the kicker. How much are we paying for this? So this is interesting. It's I think it's four ninety nine a month, twenty nine ninety nine a year, but they've got a special offer right now that you can get a lifetime subscription for sixty nine ninety nine. I'm very happy to pay for the app sixty nine ninety nine for for the Mac and the iPhone and the iPad, all of them, rather than be paying a subscription of thirty bucks a year. You buy it once, you're going to get updates. I kind of trust this company, even though I've been critical of them for changing the names and changing the style of the apps. They seem to have settled here. So I kind of trust that they're going to be around for a fairly long time. And this is a really good option if you don't want it to get in with the Adobe subscription. Industrial um, complex. <laughs> the Adobe industrial complex, right, to get you know new modern technologies at a very very reasonable price, especially if you are you know doing much photo editing. And I, I mean, honestly, you mentioned this before, but I think it needs to be repeated that you don't have to build a separate library because it's already using your photos library, which you are yep. probably using in some fashion. So it's not like I have to decide, all right, did I put that photo in my Capture One library? Is it in my Lightroom library? Is it in my photos library? And that just makes things a lot easier, especially for people who, you know, aren't wedded to, you know, I mean, like me, most all of my pictures are in Lightroom. I am, that's just where I am. Yeah. Uh, but for a lot of people, they don't want to have to do that. And, and in fact, you know, Luminar, they also had a library module. And I have photos in my Luminar libraries that I need to pull out because I don't use Luminar as much as I did. And so – Well, that, you used Luminar a lot because you wrote books about it. I did, yeah, yeah. It but, wasn't but your also, app of choice. Well, it – it was for a while and it just hasn't really – I'm not as impressed with Luminar Neo as I had been with previous versions. Maybe that can be a topic for another day, but I just find myself not using it very much. Okay. Oh, just by the way, it's a free download. I think you get a seven-day or a 14-day trial, so um, you don't have to cough up the money right away. And by all means, try it out. Even if you don't think you're going to use it, do try it out because it, it's, it just feels friendlier in some ways than a lot of other apps. <laughs> you know, we talk about having a camera that fits your hand well and menu systems that that work for you and I think that absolutely applies to the software after. And what I'm seeing especially with you which I'm totally enjoying you reacting to this is just that that this fits just like the Leica seemed to really fit with your style of photo shooting, this really seems to fit and 
take that that bigger picture. If that fits and the software fits, you're going to be more interested in using it and you're not going to be fighting against it. And then you're going to take more pictures. And that's good. For exactly. Everybody. You're not going to be fighting against it. And that's the big thing. When it becomes intuitive, then it's fun in a way. When you're fighting against it, you're constantly trying to figure things out. It's a job. Yes, exactly. Okay. Have you got a snapshot? I do have a snapshot. I am going to do a movie this time. Uh, it's Ooh. an Apple Plus movie called Tetris. So it's a movie that is a, a semi-fictionalized – well, no, actually largely fictionalized but based on real events a movie about getting the rights to the game Tetris in the 1980s. And you're thinking, wow, that sounds dull as hell. And yet I have found this movie – I've actually watched it a couple of times um, – it is – well, once I watched it by myself and then I watched it with my family. It's okay. um, <laughs> just for context, Kirk popped his eyes open like you watched this twice. But it well, also, turns out it's a, to be – It's a very recent movie. So it would be surprising to watch it twice so quickly. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it basically it starts Taron Edgerton um, as the guy who ultimately gets the rights to Tetris. But here's the thing. So Tetris – in a real capsule summary, Tetris uh, was a game written by a Russian programmer. And if you don't know what Tetris is, it's – well, it's actually surprising if you don't know it. It's basically um, – <laughs> Yeah, but young people these days, they I don't know, know anything about young history. People. So it's a game where you had uh, different shaped blocks, four, four block shapes that come down from the top of the screen and you have to build rows. And as you build rows – they get removed and you get more points. And I can't believe it, that Jeff has just explained what Tetris is. <laughs> <laughs> we had to explain what Rubik's Cubes were last time. So true, guess, true. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to, to, to uh, Retro Photoactive. <laughs> <laughs> so basically this game was developed, I want to say like 1983, 1984 on computers, uh, you know, very old computers and very old Russian computers. So this is this is the height of the Cold War and this, this Russian programmer uh, came up with this game that turns out to be this hit and other companies want to license it. Well, this was communist Russia and you had – sorry, communist Soviet Union. It was Soviet Union. It was Soviet Union. And so, you know, this guy doesn't really own it because everything he does is owned by the state. And it turned out to be this, this drama of competing interests, people who thought they had the rights, didn't have the rights, and uh, ultimately you know, getting this guy out of the country uh, as communism was falling. Now, ultimately, it's a movie that happens in a lot of conference rooms. It's a very talky movie, and yet it is still compelling. And I don't quite know how they did that, but they did it really well. So, I've seen it on Apple TV, but I haven't watched it because it didn't sound interesting. But now I'm going to watch it. Thanks to you. It is, yeah. It It's a movie where you're like, that, that cannot possibly be interesting, and yet – they do. It is fictionalized. There are some like car chases and things that I saw an article by the two people who – like the two actual people. And they said, yeah, we read the script and as soon as there was a car chase, we knew that 
that's what this kind of movie was going to be. And it's it's not going to hew very, very closely to what actually happened. But it's still – it's it's this political thriller centered around a 1980s video game. It's crazy. So, Kirk, what do you have this week? Well, it looks like it's peak design Kickstarter time again. Um, I got an email about two hours ago, and they have a new micro-clutch. Never drop your mirrorless camera again. Now, they had a previous clutch tool, which is basically put your hand on the side of the camera, and the clutch goes around the back of your hand. Um, they have a very clever video showing about how that really worked well with the big old cameras, but now mirrorless cameras are a lot smaller. Um as I look on Kickstarter, you know, I'm seeing this in pounds. So they're making a currency conversion. The original goal was 39,911 pounds. They're over 150,000 pounds. And this is just a couple hours later. I immediately ordered one because I really like this idea. When you look at the video, you'll see how it's designed. It's got a plate that screws under the camera that holds the bottom of the clutch and the top of the clutch goes into the strap ring. And you can put two or three or four fingers, depending on your hand, depending on your camera. And I think this is a great idea. Now, I tend to wear a cross chest strap with my cameras because I don't want to drop them. But sometimes that's limiting. So I have to take it off and I'm going to want to keep the clutch on or take the strap off because I use Peak Design anchors and use the clutch when I'm in a situation when I want more flexibility to take photos. Uh, the Kickstarter price, I believe, is $50. Um, I think I paid $5 for shipping. It's international shipping. Um, if you ever thought you needed one of these things, this would be a good one to get. And, and this is focused on smaller mirrorless cameras. And they're talking about Fujis and Leicas and Olympuses and all the other ones. They have a list of compatibility. Uh, they, if they don't say your camera's compatible, that doesn't mean it won't work. It just means that they can't say that it's going to work. So it is the micro clutch from Peak Design. So I have the the other clutch. Uh, I'm, I think we mentioned it before uh, that I use occasionally. And what I think is interesting about this is it's not just the strap that goes around your hands or your fingers. It is a plate that fits onto the bottom of your camera in yep. a pretty clever way. So yeah. that seems really cool. And it's even got a tool hidden in the plate that you take out to unscrew the plate. Don't you hate when you've got a uh, um, a tripod plate under your camera and you can't find a coin to undo it, right? Gosh, that's never happened to me before. <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of, you know, I have a lot of Peak Design stuff now. I've got straps. Yeah. I've got um, tripod. I've got my iPhone case is a Peak Design iPhone case. Um, I really like their approach, the fact that, they they seem to make things that are just right. Mm -hmm. um, they explain in the video we use Kickstarter so we don't have to have investors. And I'm always a little bit wary about that. But on the other hand, it helps them gauge, you know, the interest. And I mean, look at this. It's 153,000 uh, for a goal of 39,000 pounds in just a couple of hours. It is quite impressive how effective their Kickstarter campaigns are. Yeah, I've been happy with their stuff. It's a good company. Good design. I think that that pushes a lot of it. Like the, they just design things in a smart way. So that's very cool. Okay. That's enough for today. Until next time, Jeff. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactive cast in one word. 
You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.